we are not bad or good. We just are. And I think accepting ourselves is just so important when we can accept ourselves, there's literally a weight lifted off our shoulders that we are okay as we are like, what? Oh, I am like, there's not something missing for me. And when we can get to that point, I think it's expansive. There's this idea of scarcity that there's not enough out there and I have to rush to get it as opposed to, well, the world is actually expansive. There's an abundance. Thank you for listening to this episode of Changes Big and Small. This is your host, Damian. Changes Big and Small will help you take action in your life with intention and purpose. In each episode, I invite you to accept unexpected challenges that will help you take action to build the life that you want. Today, I'm speaking with Nisha Moti. She is a librarian, feminist, healing coach, and writer. She is passionate about trauma-informed care, justice and creating nurturing relationships. She coaches people one-on-one in groups and by providing workshops related to healing and trauma-informed care. You can find her on Instagram and TikTok at Healing Hype Girl, on Twitter at Nisha Modi, N-I-S-H-A-M-O-D-Y, and on her website, nishaland.com. Welcome to Changes Big and Small, Nisha. Thank you so much for having me. You have a lot of letters behind your name and those will be in your bio on the website, but I wasn't sure how to pronounce all of them. Oh, that's fine. Thank you so much. So as listeners heard from your bio, you call yourself Healing Hype Girl. Where does that come from and what does that mean? Something that's been really critical on my journey is healing from a lot of my childhood wounds that have pervaded a lot of my life. And I think a lot of us have wounds um, that could use some healing. Sometimes I think about the word healing and I try to remind myself that it's not like there's an end. It's a constant journey and it's a way to look at things. I call myself hype girl because I'm just all about it. I want to really introduce different healing modalities and different frameworks to people. I want to really encourage people. I feel like that's just what happens naturally for me. I'll just want to hype it up. It's with consent. Like you want to feel hyped up or that you're inviting that in. So I just want to put more of that out there for more people to know about these different ways of healing and to feel that it is for them. It is for everybody. And I think that it's really helpful to normalize it. Yes, definitely. So what started your healing journey? How did you embark on this healing (sighs) hype? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like I was always very interested in my life about people and relationships I thought in high school, I wanted to major in philosophy. I just wanted to understand how people thought, like the history of thinking. I didn't end up doing that, but I just always had it in me to like want to help people. I was very much a mediator in my family, which was also kind of problematic (laughs) because I was put as a mediator, even as a child, but I was always the person my friends went to and stuff. I feel like that's something a lot of people who are socialized as women talk about, like they're the the person who all their friends go to. I I try to remember that, but also realize like who I am at my core. I've always had this wonder and curiosity. And I think the, the healing part itself came to a head for me when at the end of 2012, my father died unexpectedly. We were all on vacation in India and he got sick and passed away within eight or 10 days. 
at the time I was married. And after that trip, I got home and the loss of my father brought a lot of changes in dynamic in my immediate family and with my husband at the time. I started realizing things about him. And then most importantly, realizing things about myself. I started realizing how much I changed in order to align with him. I realized that in our relationship, I forced our compatibility. I think in relationships, there's always a certain compromise. There's always a part of us we might lose, but then there's also parts we gain. But I kind of felt like it was one-sided. And this was proven to me when, you know, I had asked him for a separation toward the end of 2013, but I said, let's try couples therapy because I did want to make sure that if I were to make this decision, I kind of did everything I, I could. And I wasn't doing this like without a professional opinion or trying something different. But after a few sessions, I realized that, you know, I wasn't feeling the relationship and it wasn't something I wanted to continue further. And when I, I told him during therapy, I wanted a divorce. He said, we've only been trying for three months, which was basically the period of when we separated and we had tried therapy. I immediately responded to him saying, I've been trying for eight years, which was from the beginning of when we met. I said this to him and he just had the shop looked on his face, realizing that he'd been trying for three months. I've been trying this whole time. And it just proved to me that I was making such effort to change, to adjust my energy to him and not realizing that I was not getting anything in return. There was no reciprocity there. And, you know, that turned into also me realizing how did this all happen in the first place? Why did I adjust myself to him so much? And that's something within the South Asian community. I think women hear a lot, like you have to adjust, you have to adjust to the point where that word just makes me cringe. You know, I realize that actually, you know, a lot of people talk about quote unquote daddy issues. I, I don't really like that term a lot. I think it's kind of problematic, but for me, there were things with my father that are there, but my mother wound with my mom is very, very deep. I realized how much I grew up having to be subservient to her, having to adjust myself, having to mask myself constantly because of her wounds and the way she projected her frustrations and anger upon my brother and I, and especially upon me being that mediator, being that person that she parentified. When I say parentification, I'm talking about how she put me so much in a parent role, even as a child. And so therefore I felt this need to save people, including my now ex-husband. I felt like it was my role in my job, but I started my healing journey realizing I needed to really look at all of this and look deep inside about what my relationship with myself was. How was I parenting myself? I never even thought about that. I just thought about other people and how to make them happy and what they needed, which is exactly what my mom did to this day. I think she's healing, but you know, I think it's still very hard for her to focus on herself and realize what her own needs are. And I realize that I can break these cycles by doing it with myself. I can help her as much as I can, but I also realize to constantly push my mom or anybody to do certain things is me forcing my will upon them. And that's not okay. And that's another reason I feel like I'm a hype girl. I'm all about encouraging, but I'm not trying to force someone. If they're not ready, they're not ready. And there was a time where I was, and I think we all have our time when, you know, sometimes we just start to get it. If you don't mind my asking, did you have an arranged marriage? Was that part of the character of your relationship here? 
Sure. No, we did not. I met him online. He is Indian and I did want to marry an Indian person. My parents immigrated from India and not just that he was Gujarati, which is a specific state that we both are from. My parents in many ways, they would have been happy to introduce me to people, but they thankfully never would have like forced me to marry anybody. They were more progressive in that sense. Since then, I've been with non-South Asian people and my mom has has no issue with it. As more and more people in my community have married outside of the community, it's become more normalized. In some cultures, people get the messaging of making their husbands happy as being their most important task. I have definitely had conversations with Asian friends and friends from other cultures who have been told or have internalized this idea. Nisha shares her experience with this messaging. I learned what I saw. I learned someone who didn't prioritize himself. I learned someone who constantly adjusted themselves to people, but then didn't know how to deal with it when they realized that it wasn't good for them. So I think it's a really interesting mix of what we're consciously told, what we see and how that affects our subconscious thoughts and how we start operating on that. It's only when we become more aware of these patterns. And that's what happened for me that I was like a big light bulb came on. It was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I think that combined with how I'd always kind of been really interested in self-help, which now I don't feel like people call it self-help as much, but just kind of with that world of understanding ourselves. Also, I feel like I've been able to take it one step further to also realize how did colonization, the British colonized India, how did that affect the ways patriarchy existed within my community? How did that create also a stratification of certain classes. It was for so long, hundreds of years, the British colonized India. So what were the ancestors before that in my lineage? Like, I don't know. And I've been trying to explore that more and more because this all comes from somewhere. This idea of some type of supremacy, whether it's racial supremacy or gender supremacy or anything like that. That's a long answer to your question, but I did not have an arranged marriage. I did want to marry within my community, though that didn't end up working out for me, but it taught me a lot about myself nonetheless. And I always say, I don't regret any of it because I feel like it was my path. And Where I am now, I'm so proud of. I'm familiar with the concept because several people have mentioned it in previous episodes. For example, I spoke with a lady, Claudia Iragan, and she talked about how she had to heal herself and recognize how her mother and her grandmother had passed on certain wounds to her or certain trauma. Uh, But I haven't heard the term mother wound before. Uh, Could you help us understand what that term means? Sure. So really what the mother wound is, are those traumas that our mothers have passed down to, to us through their lineage. I talk a lot about intergenerational trauma. So that could be being parentified by your mother or being emotionally manipulated by your mother. It could mean a lot of things. And I think people have different journeys with it and people have different experiences with their mother in terms of maybe their mother having them act like the mediator in the family. It could also be that the mother abandons their child. I also think it's an especially specific relationship. It can be with the mother and the daughter because of the gender similarities, the expectation that a mother puts on a daughter in terms of 
what she quote unquote, like should be doing or not be doing or should be behaving. So I think the mother wound is something that is passed down based on the mother's experiences and how they've been wounded. It's essentially unresolved trauma. It's trauma that they've received. My mom has three sisters and they're all very different, but my mom is the oldest. And I feel like she's very stereotypical in that way. She's kind of like a little bossier and very controlling. And so I was very controlled. So that's also part of my mother wound, her control and her critique against myself and my brother as well. And how much I internalize that critique. I still have to consciously make boundaries with her so that I don't internalize it too much. So part of the mother wound is also healing from it. And for me, that's been creating a lot of boundaries around how much I'm physically around my mother, how much I speak to her, how much when she speaks to me, how much I respond to what she says. Um, oftentimes my mother has opened up to me in many ways. And then I'll, I'll reveal something to her very personal, very vulnerable. And then I've, I've noticed the next day she'll kind of use it against me. And so that's another way that I've been wounded. And so I have to be very careful about anything I say to her sometimes, or I have to have a very protective bubble around me when I'm around her so that I don't take on the energy that she has, that she hasn't healed. That sounds very difficult to have a close relationship with someone when you have to watch what you're saying all the time. Yeah. I often felt like I was walking on eggshells with her. And I noticed that I developed friendships with people who I felt that with. And it was weird because we often repeat unresolved relationships that have harmed us. We seek that energy out, I think, if we haven't resolved that. So I have a couple friends who I have eventually not continued friendships with because I realized I was walking on eggshells around them. I was seeking this unhealthy bond from them that I also had from my mom because I hadn't yet been aware of what it was. So that's what happened with my ex-husband too. I sought that out from him. The seeds were planted by my mom until I became aware of how it was harming me. I was just repeating that pattern. It's so interesting how discomfort can become so familiar we can get comfortable, I guess, in painful situations, but it's even more interesting how we can actually seek out similar, or I don't know if we seek it out or if we somehow get trapped in similar sorts of situations that do not support us or help us in any way. It's interesting yeah. to think about how that it really, happens. Yeah, it really is. I think what it is, is that when those relationships come to us, those red flags, we don't see them as red flags. We see this as, as entrance points, like, oh, let me go more instead of like being like, oh, I'm just going to keep my distance from this person or not respond in a way where I feel responsible for them. In that sense, maybe it's not an attraction, but we're entering their sphere of energy in a way. And so now when I detect that, I now step away from it more, or I start creating certain boundaries because I realize Okay, I used to do that. And another thing I wanted to mention about these patterns that's really interesting is that when we do come to that realization, entering safe relationships can also be scary because we're not used to them. And this happened for me because with my, my current partner, who is a very safe person, he's someone who doesn't need things from me to the point where sometimes I feel uncomfortable still even because I'm like, but I'm supposed to help you. What can I do for you? I mean, in partnerships, I think it's good that you do things for each other. I think that's very normal. But in the beginning of our relationship, I realized that he wouldn't yell at me about certain things that I was used to being yelled at. And I almost wanted to be yelled at 
because Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with him not being upset with me. And so that's a discomfort too, but that's a discomfort we really have to sit with and get used to and realize that it's a change of pattern. And it's that our body is so used to protecting us in that way that's unhealthy, that this is a new type of protection and that it's actually safe. It's just like a really funny mind game in a way in our body too. And I think that's really important to talk about is how our, our body is so used to kind of responding in a certain way because of anxiety or because of other trauma that we've had. And we have to kind of retrain what our body feels is safe, which is something that I really work on with my clients, looking at how our nervous system responds because our body always senses things before our mind does. There is the attachment style theory, which connects with a lot of what you're saying. It's so interesting because now I'm reflecting on my own life. And this is not the first time I've thought about this before, but I seem to do a very good job of making friends who keep some distance. Like, you know, friends that I kind of have to do a lot of the work for, that I have to be the one who suggests we meet. And there's always either that physical distance between us and often it's even an indication of an emotional distance as Mm -hmm. well. Like I can remember the friend that I cultivated in my first year of university who would always leave a seat between us in the lecture hall that I never quite understood why even. Like you said, I can now catch myself when I'm doing this, when I'm being the good friend, you know, and trying really hard in a friendship, even though there isn't reciprocity. It takes a lot of intentionality and uh, thought to be able to do that how do you find it is it natural (laughs) for you now to spot when you might be falling into those less than helpful behaviors it's become a lot easier but you're right initially it's a change of behavior we're literally rewiring our brain and body and that takes effort right it takes a lot of emotional and mental labor I think it's really important for us to take care of ourselves during those times, to do things for ourselves so that we know that we're being reciprocal to ourselves, right? Like I'm doing all this work. So how can I also on the flip side, comfort myself, whether that's by having a warm tea, whether that's talking to a friend who is already safe, whether that's snuggling with your pet or in bed and just like enjoying it and knowing that it's not isolating, that it's giving yourself comfort, watching your favorite TV show, whatever it is, doing those things really help me understand that I can provide for myself too. And I can also reach out to people who are safe that do nourish me. And that's what I deserve. And that helped me retrain myself and allow for that labor to feel not less of labor, but for me to feel like it doesn't have to be only hard work. I can also really nourish myself and nourish my body. Movement also really helps for me taking walks, being in nature, looking at flowers. I love flowers. Now that I live in Southern California, there's so many beautiful flowers everywhere. So the environment has really helped me. So yeah, it's gotten much easier, but it did take work and it still does. I think it's a lifelong journey. I think like any pattern, you can fall back into things too. And that's okay. I think it's really helpful for us to not shame ourselves because shame is probably what gets us into these places in the first place. And just like accepting that, you know, it's okay. It'll happen. It's not like, you know, linear, just up. We'll have these moments and giving ourselves grace and even laughing at ourselves, I think can help sometimes we're human after all. Hi, I'm Nisha Modi. I'm a feminist healing coach, writer, librarian, and the host of the podcast Migrations. On Migrations, I talk to people who identify as part of the Asian diaspora about their migration story, how it affected who they are today, and what healing looks like in their lives. I do this through interviews, by exploring different topics, and by offering my own insights. 
You could find out more about me at www.nishaland.com and you could subscribe to Migrations, that's M-I-G-R-A-S-I-A-N-S, on all major podcast providers. What has surprised you on this journey? What have you learned about yourself or about other people that you did not know before? Wow, that's such a good question. I think what I've learned about myself is that raising my voice, talking things out and not having to figure everything out on my own, whether that's like this, having a conversation with you, or whether that's calling a friend or talking to my partner and just saying what's ever on my mind or journaling that really has helped me in the morning. I just journal what's ever on my mind. And it's a release for me. Releasing my voice has been so powerful. It's been healing from within, but part of my healing process has also been using my voice in different ways, whether that's on my podcast, whether that's being on other podcasts, whether that's saying something in an Instagram story or drawing, expressing myself in some way. I call that surprising because some Sometimes I've always been like, I have to figure everything out. That's how I was raised to be that mediator. Like, okay, I have to figure out this whole situation with this whole dynamic. I also think it's how we're raised um, in a colonized world where everything is very individual. It's very competitive capitalism. You know, you're supposed to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure everything out yourself, but you don't have to, you can ask for help. You can express yourself going to therapy, expressing myself in that way. I cannot tell you how many times I felt quote unquote fine. And I go into therapy thinking, I don't have much to talk about. And so much comes out and I'm like crying. And so clearly there was a lot in me. There's so much within us that I think it's so important to express and feel vulnerable to share. And of course, I want to caveat, I always caveat vulnerability by having a space where you could feel safe to do that because not all spaces are safe to feel vulnerable and cultivating that community is really, really important. I was listening to a podcast. I really wish that I remembered which one. If I do, I'll add it to the show notes. I heard somebody say, Guilt is when you think that you've done something bad, but shame is when you think that you're bad. And I was like, oh, wow, no wonder that is such a heavy thing to carry shame. Yeah. You mentioned a few minutes ago about how we can call on people to help us on the healing journey. Who do you take on your healing journey with you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I am so blessed with so many dear friends. I was just messaging one of my best friends. I say from high school, but I met her in like fifth grade and we had an instant connection. I was just messaging about this time she was on my back porch and we had this instant connection and that was like it for us, you know? And she lives in London and we're still so close. We don't even have to like talk to each other all the time. That connection is there. So I definitely have great friends. And I think that's really important because I think oftentimes we romanticize romantic partnerships as like that person's supposed to do and be everything for us. And while they are a source of intimacy, our friends are sources of intimacy. Our community is a source of intimacy. And we cannot ask for everything from one person. To me, that's logical. One person cannot be everything for us. So I try to find that within my community in terms of friendships, also within other South Asian people that I know, because I know that there are certain commonalities and experiences we have. I also think it's important that once again, 
I can call on certain South Asian friends to talk about, I have coaching friends. I have people in these different circles, like these different pods kind of that I can reach out to and ask for help or say what's going on. And it's just such a beautiful energy exchange for me. So I think we can have different types of communities. Like I have a lot of internet friends now because of the coaching work that I do. And because of what I do on Instagram, which is really nice. And it's heartwarming. Some of them I've met in real life. Others, you know, we just talk online and I think that's really, really important that we have different types of people and different types of communities that we can reach out to. I kind of have a bias with digital connections too, that I, I don't like the term real life versus online life, because I feel like mm. real life is about the strength of the relationships. It's about the content of the relationships, not just the location or the situation of people. And so I've met quite a few people online first and then met them in the physical world and been able to build some sort of connection with them. And even the people that I've never met in the physical world, they've added value to my life. And so I feel like it diminishes something when we say, oh, my real life versus my online life. But that's just my little aside. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, you're totally right. I mean, it is real life. We're, here we are talking in real life. It's not fake. So I appreciate that. Yeah. A few minutes ago, you talked about the word deserving. And that kind of made me sit up because I think as women, as people, so often we try to think of what do we deserve and I think that sometimes can be really dangerous because it kind of ties to the idea of you're valuable just as you are. Yeah. And so I want to kind of move into talking about self-acceptance and what does it mean for us to take up space in the world and where do we get our value from? Oh, I feel like I talk to my clients about this all the time that we are worth everything and we were born worthy. First of all, we grew up in a world where capitalism has told us that we have to earn our worth as well as colonization as people of color. I think white supremacy has told us that too. Like we have to even push ourselves even more to be able to be on par. So there's this systemic influence as well. And then it becomes very, very internalized when in fact we are so worthy, you know? And I think it's really important for us to look at that shame that we have to sit with that shame because oftentimes shame or these like quote unquote bad feelings, which I don't like calling things good or bad, kind of what you were saying, what shame is like, I am bad. We are not bad or good. We just are. And I think accepting ourselves is just so important when we can accept ourselves, there's literally a weight lifted off our shoulders that we are okay as we are like, what? Oh, I am like, there's not something missing from me. And when we can get to that point, I think it's expansive. There's this idea of scarcity that there's not enough out there and I have to rush to get it as opposed to well, the world is actually expansive. There's an abundance to it. And when I accept myself and also meet myself where I'm at, like maybe I'm in a bad place this week or this week I've been kind of emotional. Maybe I'm in an emotional place like, okay, I'm going to cry then. I'm going to cry and be okay with it. I'm going to be sad. Like this morning, I just kind of woke up sad. That happens sometimes. And I was like, oh, why do I feel this way? You know, I was kind of annoyed. But then I was like, you know what, Nisha, you're sad. It's okay. And I just put my hand over my heart and I just felt, try to almost complete that feeling, let that cycle continue and accept that feeling. And when we can accept those feelings within us, we can accept ourselves more. Some people think like, oh, I'm not organized or I'm not focused or whatever, but instead 
why don't you accept the beautiful things that happen when maybe you are unfocused? Like for me, I also have a trouble with focus, but I'm able to do so many things and come up with so many ideas because of that. So how are we faulting ourselves or shaming ourselves for where we are at instead of letting that be part of our journey and expecting ourselves to be, you know, like a million yards away when we can just meet ourselves where we are and accept ourselves where we're at and see where that takes us. It's such a relief. It's such a weight off your shoulders when you could just be like, oh, I'm okay as I am. Cool. Instead of letting the world think that you need X, Y, or Z. I'm not saying other things can't make you feel better. I have cats. They make me feel so much better. But at the same time, I think we also have to understand that where we are in our current situation is okay. Things happen. This is life. It's not perfect. And it never will be. Being able to meet ourselves where we're at is so critical to healing and to to realizing that there's more out there and that more isn't because of our lack. It's because of curiosity and exploration. As we think about self-acceptance and you've been going on this healing journey, you've been doing coaching work as well for yourself and with other people, what still surprises you about self-acceptance? What trips you up sometimes and you have to be very intentional and deliberate about? I think as much as I think we're better together and as much as I think we should lift others as we climb and I, I believe in community and collectivism, we still live in a world that's very competitive. So I still see what other people are doing. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, well, they're doing this. Maybe I should do that. And I often forget myself. And I think another thing about self-acceptance that's hard is oftentimes when we're not accepting ourselves, we're very disconnected from our bodies and from who we are and our values and our skills and our personality traits. And once I return to myself, and I ground myself, whether that's by meditation or standing in nature, or sometimes I write things down, like my qualities that I like about myself. And I read them to remind myself because it's so often that we forget ourselves. So I think I'm still surprised by the fact that even though I have all these values, I, I can get off track. And sometimes it's actually with, and because of the people who are doing similar work as me, it's not their fault, right? It's still that feeling of lack within myself because I'm human and because I grew up in this world that is so hyper-competitive and so hyper-individualistic. I'm all about slowing down and paying attention, but I sometimes put a lot of pressure on myself. I'm like, there's not enough time. There's so much going on in the world that's so bad. I have to do this. I have to do that. And so even though I'm all about slowing down, I sometimes feel this need to rush and hurry and like everything is urgent. Even though everything is urgent, that's exactly why we have to slow down. So this idea that the resolution to urgency is actually slowing down is something that is, I think, this beautiful contradiction. And it's so surprising. Like it makes me laugh all the time at it and at myself. I think it's funny how the people who inspire me, I also start feeling less than because of them. Like when you put other people on a pedestal, that means you're below, but you're not. We are all in this world and in this life to do so many different things. What does Nisha want? What fulfills her soul? And that's when I can return to myself and be like, oh, that to me is self-acceptance. Like, what do I need? Maybe that person needs that and that's great, but I don't need to be that way. And that for me put, puts them like on the same level or just puts them in a 
different place. That's where they are. I also try to see myself as like, instead of on this flat linear kind of path, like we're in this sphere and we are, the, the world is a globe. It's, it's a round object and all the planets are round. So we're within the sphere in different spots. When you spin that around, there is no superiority. There is no inferiority. It's just, we're in a different place. People are multifaceted and different in different instances, and susceptible to changing and growing and being different on different days. We're fallible and that still doesn't make us any less than we were at any other moment. Yeah. And we are all capable of harming others. It's not so much that we harm someone. It's like, okay, what are we going to do about it now? How are we going to be accountable to ourselves and to others? And I think that if we think about that, as opposed to this person's bad, and I know, trust me, I've totally thought what's quote unquote wrong with We all fall into it. Yep. (laughs) We all fall into it. Do you have a challenge? Do you have an action that you would like to invite people to take towards Mm -hmm. living the life that they want? Yes, I do. I challenge everyone to start small, start doing something small every day that might change your life. I tell everybody this story for me, it was, I decided that I was going to start flossing every day because I was really bad about flossing my teeth. And I realized that for my dental health, I need to floss. It was something that was for my health, but also just to change a behavior. And it's a very simple behavior every night, you know, just floss. And so when I realized I could do that every day, I realized I could do something else. So then I started meditating every day for five minutes. I did a 30 day challenge for myself, but I also did on Instagram. So that accountability helped. So accountability, having a buddy to do something with anything small, try to challenge yourself to do that. That has turned into a whole morning routine for me. Then I started journaling. I meditate. Sometimes I'll do movement in the morning, not every day. And that's okay. I don't shame myself, but just start very small with one little habit. Know that sometimes you just have to take action. And once you take action, then sometimes more will come. It's more expansive. I know we're not always in the mood to do something and that's okay. So just taking that small action, it's really good for our nervous system and it's good for our body. And um, it's not too overwhelming for us. Sometimes I think overwhelm is what gets us to just stop. And it happens to me all the time. And when that happens, I just break things down into small steps. The other day, I'm like, I got to put my whole podcast episode together. Oh my gosh. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to listen to the first interview I did. Let me just listen. And so I started that. And then, you know, within a couple of days, I was done before I knew it. That overwhelm is almost more emotional energy than actually doing the thing. But I do say start small so that it doesn't feel like too much on our bodies and our minds. So that's my challenge to everyone to take that overwhelm and make it a really small thing that you can do to shift your life just a little bit every day. I really like that. And I also like to say that once you've done that small thing, then take a moment and celebrate because then you're also building those positive pathways in your brain. That celebration piece, which BJ Fogg talks about, helps make a habit stick over time as well. Yeah. Just giving yourself that reward. Thank you so much for adding that. I appreciate that very much. Before we move to our fast five, the last five questions of the episode, tell us where people can connect with you. I read a little bit about it in the bio, but tell us what you're doing, how people can support your work, where we can find you. 
Yeah. So you can go to my website, www.nishaland.com. You can learn more about me, find ways to work with me. I do one-on-one coaching. I'm going to be um, offering soon more of a healing assessment just to get people started if they're stuck to to kind of see where they're at and where they should move forward. I'll be updating my um, website with that information soon. I'm also planning to do a group coaching program so you can get on the, the wait list there for that. I really recommend just getting on my email list, which you can connect with on my website too. Um, and on Instagram, you can find me at healing hype girl. I'm on TikTok at healing hype girl as well. Um, I'm on Twitter at Nisha Modi, which is my name, um, first and last name. And the last thing I have is I have a healing and justice newsletter called the healing hype. It's the healing And I offer my own reflections. It's kind of a blog of sorts. You can get it for free for a couple posts a month. And there's also a paid version in there. I offer meditations that are usually along with the times I offer inspiration notes and all workshops that I lead um, exclusively by me, which I'll do probably five or six a year are included in that too. And you can always access those later. I offer that through there as well as an advice column if you want to become a member. So that's information providing directly from me. I love doing meditations. I feel like it's so helpful just to ground ourselves. So I like to offer that. And I also have some free meditations on my website. Thank you for sharing all of that. And the links will be in the show notes as well. Okay. Now we're going to go to our fast five, which are five questions that you can answer with up to one sentence. Okay. So what lights you up? It can be this moment, this week, this month. This moment. I love having conversations with people. What do you do every day or dream of doing every day to live the life that you want? I dream of connecting with myself and with others. Do you have a phrase or a pep talk that you give yourself for motivation? I think about safety and how safety is the absence of a threat and the presence of a connection. Where do you live? And if you're having guests, what's the first thing you show them or the first place that you take them to? This is totally selfish. This is for me because I love traveling. Yeah, I live on Tongva land. That's the native people of the Los Angeles region. So today called Los Angeles. Gosh, I just love taking people around my neighborhood to show them all the flowers and vegetation because I just love flowers and the succulents here so much. You have been given the gift of time with some time affluence. So that means you have a free day and you can do anything you want. What are you doing on this day? I am reading on the beach. I am playing with my cats. I'd love to have some really good sex. And do some journaling and writing, which I love dearly. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure and honor and really it did light up my day. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Changes Big and Small with Nisha Moti. If you think someone else will benefit from listening to this episode or would be interested, please share it with them. Have you left a review yet for Changes Big and Small? We're trying to get to 10 reviews in the month of July. And there is a link in the show notes where you can leave a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot to me. What is the small action that you can take today, tomorrow, each day, 
and celebrate to build a new habit towards living the life that you want. Remember, change begins with one small step. Have a great day.